Welcome, everyone. This is the NASA Ontolog KMWG Ontology in Knowledge Management and Decision Support mini-series launch meeting. It's Thursday, November 8th, year 2007, and we welcome everyone here. I'll pass the baton to uh, Ms. Jean Holm from NASA Jet Propulsion Lab, who will be leading the session. Jean. Thanks, Peter. Um, so if anyone in Second Life has an issue or a problem, as I've mentioned before, please contact Maritza. She's in the front row for those of you in world. Um, if you aren't able to get into Second Life right now and you'd like to join us, um, I'll be happy to walk you in ahead of time the next session. So um, at this point, I'm going to just be um, trying to make sure that the information is being given through both areas. So the um, uh, I'm on slide two now, and the agenda for today is um, that we, we're going to skip that self-introduction of participants because we have so many people on the line. So a huge welcome to everybody, and thank you very much for participating. So I'm going to give an overview of what's brought us to this point in launching this mini-series. And then um, Andy and I together will talk about the information data management evolution of, of activities and ideas at NASA and why this particular mini-series was of interest to all three parties um, involved. And then we'll open it up for questions and answers in both um, the teleconference and in Second Life. And again, we're trying to make this through multiple venues. So if you're not in Second Life today, don't feel like you're missing anything other than a really interesting experience. But the information should be available to people no matter where they're coming in from. So um, on slide three, I just want to give a big thanks to the leadership team for this mini-series. All of these people have put in countless hours in preparing and looking at these um, ideas that Peter and Andy and I had um, a month or two or three years ago, looking at this idea that there's an intersection between ontologies, knowledge management, and decision support. So each of these people that you see on this slide um, has been instrumental in helping to shape these ideas that were um, putting forth today, so thank you to all of you. So on slide four, what this mini-series really is going to focus on is looking at three active areas in not just the federal space, although a lot of us um, do come to this discussion from either a government agency or support in the, in the federal sector, but it includes academia, it includes industry, it includes people who um, are working as consultants. But it's the three areas of ontologies, knowledge management, and decision support. And our primary three sponsoring groups are um, NASA, which is where Andy and I and, and many of the speakers you'll hear during this mini-series are from, the Ontolog group, which is Peter's um, group that he leads with a lot of other great folks, and the Federal Knowledge Management Working Group, which is um, co-chaired by Gior Hadar from FAA and Isha Letterhanger from um, NIH. And uh, those three organizations are helping to sort of co-sponsor this activity, looking at how we can collaborate for the intersection of these three areas for better decision-making, partially in the government sector, but, but really anywhere. So in slide five, we'll see that the mini-series is going to go over six months. 
so you'll have lots of opportunities for participation here. Um, we'll start now and move through May. There will be talks, panel discussions. Um, there will be online discourse through the wiki. There will be um, additional opportunities for collaboration through Second Life, which is a virtual world. Um, for those of you who want to be familiar with Second Life, uh, there was a tutorial two weeks ago, and that information is linked from the wiki for this mini-series. And so you can get that information, see those screenshots, and, and hear that information um, separately. Or you can contact me individually, and I'll be happy to walk you through it um, asynchronously from these conversations. And so this is really an opportunity for a discussion. It's not this is how NASA is approaching everything and we've solved all these problems, but really NASA has a challenge that we're facing. We've done some things well in the past. We're, we're looking at some things that we're struggling with, and we really wanted to open up the conversation to all of our peers to understand how people are approaching this idea of organizing information connecting people and connecting systems for better decisions. Um, if you, uh, the, the mailing listservs for these are uh, the Ontolog Group and the Federal Knowledge Management Working Group. And so information that is posted out to the mailing list will be cross-posted to both groups. So if you're a member of one or the other, you don't need to be a member of both. If that's not of your of specific interest, you'll get all the information. Um, and if you want to join the specific email list, um, Peter, you've, you've created a, a new list here, right? Yes. Uh, okay. Yeah, that's the... Uh, OKMDS convene list. Sounds great. Yeah. Uh, yes. Oh, uh, in fact, uh, the uh, couple of uh, uh, members of our organizing committee, uh, Kurt Conrad and Ken Baklowski, will be championing this uh, mailing list. And um, if we go on to the next slide, slide number six, uh, these are the few questions they might get all of us started with. So uh, slide five has this uh, address that you can just send an email to. It's okmdsconvene-join uh, at ontolog.sim3.net. Send a message there. The system will sort of confirm that it's a real email address from someone. Uh, when you confirm that you're part of the list, and we can start a conversation. All the the, the entire dialogue will be archived and threaded and searchable uh, afterwards. So uh, maybe either Kurt or uh, uh, Kurt or Ken. Will you want to speak to these questions that you have prepared, or you're probably muted? Uh, star three. Maybe? Yep. Star three. No. Uh, let's come back to that. Maybe. Peter, uh, can you hear me yes. now? Yes, we, I can hear you. Ah, Ken. Okay. Okay. Yeah, Ken. this is Ken Vesplowski. Um Yes, I'd like to uh, speak a little bit about these questions. Uh, these are questions for the uh, online discussion group uh, that we are forming in connection with this series. Um, the, the issue 
as mentioned on slide five, is to open up a dialogue and discovery at the intersection of ontology and knowledge management, uh, development uh, and management, and the role of both in decision support. And then on slide six, um, you can see the uh, opening questions for the dialogue. The first question is, first two questions actually are just questions about what decision support and knowledge management are. Um, both of these are fairly difficult to define, and um, so it, it, it may be quite a, a far-ranging discussion to try to come up with, uh, you know, a real handle on exactly what each of these terms means. Um, and important that such a discussion, um, such a dialogue take place so that these issues can, you know, we can make some progress on these issues. Then uh, more specific issues are to determine the potential roles of ontologies in each of these two, in knowledge management and in decision support. Um, the, um, there are, there's been some work in this area, and clearly ontologies can be used for many things. Just exactly how they could apply in these two cases is still fairly open, and so that we hope that there will be some interesting uh, suggestions and conversations uh, that will develop over these over this particular issues. Then there are more generic questions about the the, the uh, series, which is you know what topics should we cover? So what so we could hopefully start new threads uh, after the opening questions are dealt with, uh, and and start to address these other uh, topics and issues. Finally, if, if there's anyone who wants to give some input regarding the mission and objectives and, and so on, topics and priorities in this series, they're always welcome. And, uh, the, uh, you know, we hope that uh, there will be a, a really uh, fruitful conversation that will develop over all of these uh, opening and uh, later questions. Okay, Peter? Okay. Thank you, Ken. Uh, back to Jean. Okay, thanks. I'm going to try and make sure. Can you guys hear me all right on the teleconference line? Or am I soft? Yes, I can hear you. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm trying to make optimize voice for both Second Life and teleconference. <laughs> all right. We can hear you on the tele, uh, teleconference. Okay, that's great. Uh, you want someone to, in Second Life to confirm? We're, we're all good now. Okay. All right, great. Okay, okay so... Um, slide seven. Slide seven. So the place we're looking is really the beginnings of this conversation became out of the fact that NASA's mission of space exploration really looks at the fact that knowledge for us deals not just with information artifacts, but with actual spatial, not meaning to be upon, but, but truly spatial information, and that the idea of the texture, the construct, the orientation, the relationship of different pieces of knowledge um, plays a, a role in how we both engage in conversation and how those conversations evolve over time. So it's one thing, so this is 
again, some of these things will be very clear to people from the ontology background. Some things will be very clear to people from the knowledge management background. So, um, again, we're trying to serve as a bridge between these, these communities for those of you who don't normally work in both. So the idea is, is that, that all of the knowledge that we gather through our knowledge management systems needs to be architected and constructed in a way that obviously can easily people to knowledge discovery for decisions. And the reason that we're holding this concurrently in Second Life is because some of that knowledge can actually be architected into virtual, physical objects. So as we go through um, this mini-series, we'll have speakers that look at different aspects of that. So I'm only just introducing that as a rather far-reaching construct that may help to shape the intersection of all of these different ideas. And the idea that our knowledge resides not just inside our organization or inside an individual or part of the organization, but across an entire organization. So for NASA, that lives not just in what we know as civil servants, but what we know as our contractors, which far outnumber our civil servants 10 to 1, and most importantly, probably as our international partners, because the exploration of space is an endeavor for all humans um, and something that together we have to be able to do across the globe. So the idea that we're going to be able to think about knowledge as a space um, and how that integrates back into our processes for how we make decisions form policies, create, in our case, safe spacecraft, but in many other cases, you know, transact whatever the job is at hand, all of those are things that are fundamental rather than incidental. So on slide eight, the idea of an architecture is critical, and so we want to make sure that people are aware, and I'm sure most people are, of the idea of enterprise architecture. And so in this case, the not just the information architecture, which ontology folks are, are key to, but the enterprise architecture and how an organization architects not just its information, but its information systems, its business processes, its key business drivers, its people, all of those components, its data, all of those components are a key part of how we are thinking about this intersection of these three different areas. Um, and as, uh, as Susan Turnbull pointed out, Lewis Kahn notes that architecture is really the thoughtful making of space. So how do we make this thoughtful space for decisions rather than just relying on individual expertise, intuition, serendipity, and luck to be able to find the right information when they need to make a decision? How do we architect that knowledge space in many different ways to be able to help our executives and others find and make these decisions? So on slide nine, this really takes us back to the core of ontologies. How do we make sure that we combine these from both a community perspective, uh, unstructured perspective for folksonomies, and really the structured top-down ontological discussion? How do we make sure that the information architectures, the knowledge architectures, the spaces in which we're talking can actually look flexibly in those three different dimensions? Now. Now, again, this mini-series is that place for discussion. It's not that we are presenting the answers today, but we're opening up this area for conversation. The next two slides I'm not going to read right now because they're again at the end of the end of the session, but it's really about um, the kinds of questions 
leadership team thought would be of interest um, coming out of these discussions. And so you can look over slides 10 and 11 to really see what questions we thought would be potential discussion topics over the mini-series. And, um, and I just encourage you to think of what other questions or what specific aspects of these questions might be of interest to you. So um, we have a variety of speakers set up from the NASA family and from other federal agencies. Um, if you have something to share formally in this area, I would encourage you to contact Peter or I or anybody else on the leadership team and offer that you would be interested in either giving a presentation or being involved in a panel discussion because we really want to get a broad view of what's going on in this area and how are people starting to solve these, these very um, uh, new kinds of, of structures and new kinds of ideas. So on slide 12, I'm going to get down to the nitty-gritty and talk a little bit about NASA's story and our challenge. So I'm going to tell you a variety of sort of the cases and the, the requirements that have come up as Andy and I have worked through the agency trying to pull together knowledge management and decision support and information and data management. What already exists to help NASA in our journey? So there are many existing activities. How we're trying to integrate those and where we're heading. Now, there's a project, a program for information and data management that is still being formulated. So. Um, we're still in our um, formulation phase of making sure we have a final solution to some of these issues, and we're going to share that as we do this journey. So on slide 13, the idea here is that we really begin with a challenge. So um, Andy, do, I don't know if you want to um, start now or if you want me to go. Yeah, I'll let, you, I'll let you have a sip of tea or something. Okay. All right. Bye. So go ahead. Well, you know, uh, the conversation often starts that uh, NASA is really unique. We're, we're just like everybody else. What I mean by that is we speak lots of different natural languages. We speak languages that are specific to technical domains. Scientists Different types of scientists speak within a particular domain, have their own nomenclature. Um, we use just about every kind of computer platform piece of software that you can imagine. We have both one-of-a-kind and last-of-a-kind systems. And so when I say we're, we're sort of like everybody else, we've got this uh, widely dispersed heterogeneous environment with lots of different disciplines looking at, although we're lined up and well, we have four different lines of business in exploration, space operations, uh, aeronautical research, and science, uh, those, those domains uh, cross each other and they're not just global. I mean, we, we have information systems collecting data that are uh, 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 extra zodiacal, as they say. So, so we've got a big, a big swath of an information environment, and the amount of information is really staggering. Um, the information that we are currently getting from from Mars is in measured in petabytes, and what we're forecasting for lunar reconnaissance orbiter on the high resolution cameras alone will probably be triple whatever we've ever 
gotten so far. So a tremendous amount of data. And there's no way that we're going to be able to go through this stuff on with humans manipulating it on their own. We're going to need machines to help. So the thrust of what you're going to see here is how can we get the machines and people engaged to try and move our way through this sea of information. And then when we are able to make uh, a sense of pieces that go together, take a kind of a Hansel and Gretel approach and, and, and leave those breadcrumbs, leave those associations for other people so that they can leverage them and decide, well, you know, this is something that I want to use. Um, and that's, that's really why we're talking about doing things practically and why we're doing things in increments. Uh, on, uh, on page 14, you know, it, uh, it, it's kind of like what I was saying before. It, it, it's difficult to find stuff in your own computer, let alone the environment that I just described. But if you're looking for something, you're almost halfway there because you're figuring that it, that it exists somewhere. But what we just, what we, as we start looking in decision support and other, other applications, we realize that the real hard part, the real challenge, is to be aware of information that's out there that you didn't know existed, but it is critical, relevant to the, the activity you are doing. Not just who else has made this decision, but what other things that are out there that are relevant to it that you just weren't aware of. So we're trying to, we're trying to solve that little problem as well. Um, on slide 15, um, yeah, we're no, we're no different than a lot of really large organizations. Uh, we have a budget of $17 billion. A chief executive officer of an organization that large has to make executive decisions. Execu and executives make decisions that either initiate a study, actuate, they, they, they say, okay, you, you've given me the results on this thing. Now go off and do something. They adjudicate. They break up fights. Warring organizations come to them and they say, no, you guys are going to do it this way. They respond. In our case, they respond to our, uh, our stakeholders, which is the, the uh, citizens of the United States, to Congress, to the White House. Um, in our environment, mission support, Mission operations is done outside the bounds of executive influence. So if we have to make a decision about whether or not to bring an orbiter back in uh, without repairing tiles, that's not something that we involve the administrator and the executive staff in. That's something that the mission guys worry about. But if we have a really big problem or we make a big discovery, then the right time on how to escalate that up when we discover footprints somewhere else, and we will, then the right way to get that message out and, and deliver it, uh, that's something that the executives will make too. And you know, these, these patterns of, of being able to do these things are pretty similar to other organizations, not just NASA. So I think we're, I think we're kind of a decent example for, uh, for others, uh, if we if we end up solving some of these problems, that could be used elsewhere. Um, 
And of course, in, in executive decision support, we've got, uh, I mean, we really do have Nobel laureates and, you know, pretty sophisticated engineers and scientists that are on our networks and pretty smart people running the agency, but they don't have the time. It's not really their job to go working, uh, uh, decision modeling tools or something like that. That's really the next level of folks down. That's, that's the analytical staff that goes out and tries to collect pieces of information. So one of our direct challenges is to try and figure out how are we going to bind up these decisions that have been made in the past and make them available for people sort of in fact sheets or whatever so that they can use them again. So, uh, so that's sort of our problem space. Um, like, uh, like all of you out there, uh, we like starting with requirements. So on page 16 you can see that uh, we've derived uh, some requirements that are listed here. We actually have pages. Uh, I can't actually remember the exact number. It's in three digits for the number of requirements broken out in mandatory, preferred, and optional. But they basically are around uh, the bullets you see on page 16. Agility, declarativeness, uh, it needs to be expressed. You need to find out, like, sort of the situational aspect of these chunks of data, uh, annotate and move on, you know. You should be able to add a piece of annotation and move on, the Hansel and Gretel piece that I was talking about. Um, on page 17, um, I think, Gene, you can, if you want to go over some of these ideas for future talks. Gene? Yeah, sorry, my second mic just crashed. So. Yeah, I hope that doesn't affect you here. <laughs> no, my first life is still on track. Okay, good. So, um, so these are just some of the areas that are going on right now at NASA that we wanted to um, make sure that people were aware of. That we haven't, just because Andy and I may be focused on a couple of things today, we didn't want people to think we weren't thinking about and didn't actually have people working in the areas of ontologies, the NASA taxonomy. We have a scientific and technical information program, which is our um, essentially our library and digital library, and it organizes all of our explicit um, science uh, publishing information. We have uh, a set of activities led out of our AIMS Research Center on science and research organizers and how we deal with um, relatively unstructured information and bring it into a very organized way. There are people, the anthropologists at NASA, who work on human behavioral studies that look at how people do knowledge discovery and information sharing and the aspects of involved in those. Executive decision support studies and also work in both GIS and spatial knowledge research. So. So at the end of the slide deck, you'll see that there's a list of some people and some titles of, of upcoming presentations that relate to some of these different activities. So just to give you a sense that there are a lot of things going on, some of which are still at the study level, some of which are full-fledged operational systems. Um, but I just wanted to, to mention that. So I'll, shall I take the next two, Andy, and then back to you? Okay. Well, whatever you want, sure. Okay. So the next two systems, uh, the next two slides, talk about um, the knowledge management program at NASA, which is sort of what I normally do day to day. 
So in this case, um, I just wanted to give you a very high-level view that NASA's knowledge management activity reaches broadly across both our internal and external stakeholders. So the idea that people need to do knowledge for decision support um, is broader than just um, broader than just how our, our civil servants make that information and make those decisions. And see at the top, you can see that we have NASA personnel, we have contractors, we have academics. Um, we work a lot with universities, uh, both here and abroad. Uh, we have global partners and the public as well. And below that, you'll see are some different kinds of systems that um, we've brought up over the years that help people to be able to access this. Everything from the NASA public portal, which is our main website at www.nasa.gov, to our um, internal portal, which is inside NASA, our NASA Engineering Network, our NASA Engineering Network, um, lessons learned and how we capture those and share those broadly internally and externally to the agency, organizing information through strategic the Office of Strategic Communication, and a lot of our current activities done in communities of practice. Underneath all of those, we have people, processes, and technology, which I've shown here as experts processes and things like our content management system that help to ensure that explicit information that we have captured in systems and tacit information that we have captured in uh, the minds of our employees are both have the ability to be shared across the agency and with our key partners. On slide 19, this just gives you a sense that we've been doing this for some period of time. And this chart could go back further, but I just thought that the last few years were indicative of the kinds of things we're doing. And you can see it across the top there, some of the key customers that we focused on, not to say we haven't looked at every customer each year, but, but we have had certain focus efforts each year, um, moving actually from an externally facing view back to an internally facing view. So from the public through education, back to engineers and our project teams. Internal stakeholders um, are also represented. So you can see that we work not only with people like the CIO's office and the chief engineer and chief scientist, but also peer-to-peer -peer collaboration and places like public affairs. The systems are the ones I've mentioned earlier. Um, and the um, kinds of system evolution you see across the bottom there go from what we can now consider pretty mundane things like digital asset management and portals um, and collaborative tools to really doing a lot of work now with semantic web, social networking, next generation collaboration, web 2.0. Um, and so you see that we've tried to make this evolution of building out and filling in gaps in our infrastructure for just basic information sharing to be in a place now where we can start to deal with some of those tough issues that Andy brought up earlier that really are at the heart of why NASA cares about this, this area but are hard to do if you, if you don't have some of the basic roads in place. So Andy, the next slide is slide 24, yeah. Enterprise Architecture. Do you want to take it back? Yeah, sure. So um, <laughs> EA is kind of cool. This is, uh, I, I realize now we're, we're, we're alphabet, alphabeting supia or al something like that. Um, just to sort of go around the circle a little bit, SMD is our science mission directorate. On top is uh, our Exploration Systems Mission Directorate. So um, let's just talk about these two segments. For
when when we return to the moon on the next coming uh, on the upcoming lunar's lunar reconnaissance orbiter, we'll be collecting a lot of information and doing a, uh, a, a refreshed map of the lunar surface. This refreshed map of the lunar surface is also one we want to make sure that that jives with information that the Japanese, the Europeans, the Chinese have collected on the on the moon, as well as uh, lunar information that we have gotten from the past. Now, we don't want to – I want to be careful here for, for those of you that have background in data processing about the term normalizing the data because we really want to – we, we want to align the information but not necessarily normalize. We want to make sure that the uniqueness, the, the, uh, the details of these information chunks remain, uh, remain visible and adhere to the information objects that we collect. But once we've done that, and we'll be doing this with science instruments, and, and the PIs are, are, are done with their work, the very next customers for this stuff are our civil engineers, the people that are going to want to do, uh, look at the regolith on the surface and say, will this support a structure? We'll look at the mountains and say, where should I put a radio mast? We'll do mission planning and say where where is the best opportunity for science where i can where i can send a field scientist read astronaut uh to a specific location to do necessary field work in order to understand more of what's going on so although these segments are are laid, laid out as our lines of business which they are i want to just reemphasize that there's a lot of information that crosses these so going around again at around uh, 3 o'clock is uh, our uh, aeronautical research group. Uh, we're also involved in civil uh, uh, aviation safety and uh, not just new materials for, uh, for airplanes and new engines. And then on the bottom is the one that everyone, uh, lots of people resonate with, and this is uh, space operations. This is... Uh, currently space shuttle and space station. So those of you that uh, saw Discovery launch, uh, land rather yesterday, these are the folks that worry about that stuff and the rollout for uh, for our next launch, which I think today is a matter of fact. So um, that's kind of like who we are and what we are. But when it comes to the technologies that we're talking about, we really need a strategic partnership with all of these groups and there is some glue, some governance, some management that has to happen really at, at, a, at a support segment that goes across all of these. Um, I, I mentioned before that uh, the uh, I don't know I, I don't know how many other organizations are really like this, but you, end up, you start off with a problem, then you send off people to do the analytics on it, and they, they put a bunch of stuff together, and they, res, they go to the bosses, and they say, okay, here's what we think, and the bosses make a decision. And the decision is followed by another flurry of activities. They want to reorganize. They want to consolidate contracts. Uh, they decided that we are going to ride a passing asteroid like a city bus, whatever it is, and then it eventually – Somebody comes back and says how well that worked out. Well, the idea here is to be able to bin up all of these components of a, deci of a decision from, from problem to analysis to actual decision 
to the activities, to the conclusion, and bind them together so that we have libraries of these decisions. But libraries that you can query by component, so that if you're formulating your in decision formulation, and you can see elements of decisions that happened before, then the systems can come back to you and say, hey, this looks very similar to something else that was decided a couple of years ago. And you know what? You start building patterns like this, you may find out that people, that the organization has almost a life cycle of when they decide, when they want to make certain types of organizational decisions. I've suspected that we reorganize on a, on, on a cycle, but I've never had the data to support it. And I, this is sort of what I'm talking about is the ability to be able to look across and see what kind of trends and patterns that we've got. So, um, Page 22 is uh, kind of the, the layout of how we think we're going to go about breaking the guts of this stuff up. You've got your data at the bottom and any form that you want. And then there's this policy layer in order to work the access controls from these various pieces of, da uh, uh, of data sources. And I suspect that, are, that the strategy we'll pursue for the most part is keeping these data sources down low, close to the people that really care about them, nurture them, and will take care of them. It's not about, you know, rolling everything up into one giant database. We just don't think, given the, the types of information we got, the types of customers we've got, the types of languages and systems that we use, we just don't think that that's a practical approach. It's more global than that. Um, for systems that aren't, are not queryable, uh, especially doing polyarchical queries in advance, we suspect that we will be uh, doing modeling and then querying those models. So if you have a big ERP system that is run uh, out of SAP, uh, but you need the information that's in SAP, maybe the thing to do is a representation of the middleware bus in one of these models so that you can share information at this model layer as opposed to, you know, trying to suck it directly out of, uh, out of your ERP, as an example. Going up the stack, uh, another layer of policy and security access so that the customer experience, there's, there's times when they're just not going to go past that, uh, get to the modeling stage. And then there's this little handshake that has to happen between the, the data and, uh, and the access. This is also for some situational awareness. Uh, we've been looking at uh, Zach Mull and some other things to figure out, hey, you know, maybe we want you to uh, – maybe these three you – know, I'll give you a PII example. Um, I can get Gene's uh, telephone number out of this system, and that's benign. And uh, maybe I can get her mailing address out of this other system, and that's benign. But when I combine the two of them together, it's no longer benign. It's a PII issue or something like that. And so I want to set a different kind of access bit at that time. This isn't on our main path of, uh, of what we're trying to accomplish, but we understand that these issues are going to come up, so we want to be able to provision for them. Um, Loosely coupled, of course, regardless of whether you're using query engines or browsers or composers. On the right-hand side of this stuff is sort of the, 
the governance and management of these things. The ICDs and SLAs, that's uh, interface control documents, system level agreements, uh, memorandums of understanding. Systems and applications have agreements with each other, and we need to understand what those agreements are and have those uh, locked down in an understandable place so that we can discover the interrelationships and, uh, and leverage them. So this is already, these are breadcrumbs that are already laid out for us. Um, this is, this chart is, uh, this chart is, uh, always evolving. Uh, Susan, I showed this to Mike DeConta the other day, and, uh, he had me insert another layer of policy in there, so I'm gonna give him my virtual nod right now and have that, that extra layer of policy. Uh, chart 23, uh, uh, more of a traditional semantic web view of the universe. Uh, I suspect most of the people on this call are familiar with it and have heard uh, people a hell of a lot smarter than me explain the pieces of it, so I'm just going to glide right over it. And um, Gene, you want to pick up on 24? Or you want me to? Uh, I think 24, I think those next couple ones are yours. Andy. Okay, no problem. So um, there are working groups um, that have, uh, that Gene discussed earlier, outside of knowledge management, that are really focused on uh, data management. And it's kind of interesting because while you need good, solid data management, as a, we believe, at least, and we like to sort of ask folks on this call about about this particular item. There are data management disciplines that are necessary in order to facilitate information and knowledge management, whether it's controlled vocabularies or uh, mecha you know mechanisms uh, to understand uh, where it, the curation of the information, where the authorship of it, its uh, its refresh date, any of that stuff. Uh, that kind of helps you along the way. Uh, within uh, science, there is a group that has been working tech infusion, and uh, they, they've been uh, doing a lot of sophisticated models. Just go ahead, if you want to look at one, uh, fire up Google, type in something like uh, astrophysics file type owl, and file type colon owl, and you'll get some examples. There's some good ones that are out there. And their, their data models are being used globally now. Um, this is a, a roadmap on, uh, on page 25 that we, uh, that we lifted from that group. And you can see that really what they're looking for here is uh, a way of being able to start leveraging the semantics and, and formalizing them across a bunch of different disciplines. And, um, it's uh, particularly interesting in the geospatial community because a lot of those models are already being shared. Uh, people agree pretty quick on, uh, on up, down, behind, and under. But if you want to build a sophisticated model about uh, what a shoreline is and how that, you know, what's the difference between a river shore and an ocean shore and, you know, what about the tides and what about water flow and, what about soil types and so on? Boy, if somebody's done that and you can believe in it, you want you just want to reuse that, or better yet, uh, maybe just use pieces of it and recombine it. 
uh, busy chart, lots of stuff to talk about in there, but I'm probably not going to view that on this call. Um, one of the things I will say that has captured our imagination is the best way in order to form a metadata backbone and to help have machines help us understand whether our conflicts, overlaps, or relationships in terms as they get percolated up to this backbone. Um, and I, a slide I think we may have included, mm, without going ahead, I'll just sort of say it now, is we're also looking at ways of making sure that data models and data sources have enough information annotated onto them so that if you find one of these models for a shoreline, for instance, you can find out enough about it so that you can decide whether or not it's something that you want to reuse. Who did it? Is there somebody that you can talk to about a technical question? Were the, um, the concepts in the models vetted? Were they validated? How was that done? These are all things that would make it easy for you to say, you know what, this looks like a pretty good model. It looks like uh, it's been validated by a credible uh, process. It's fairly new, and it's it's in a format that I can easily absorb. I'm going to reuse it, and uh, so that's that's sort of the thing that we're trying to do in this group is uh, this uh, this uh, uh, tech infusion group is also focused on doing. So um, oh hey perfect. Uh, so on chart 26 we start talking about some of these things, uh, the model registry. Uh, exactly how you, how you uh, are going to uh, have your model discovered by the registry, uh, good pointers, how are we going to do that, so to make sure that if you've updated your model, the registry knows about it, uh, and the other pieces of information I talked about that we want to annotate, the, the metadata pieces. Uh, same, I think I covered the MOU agreements. Uh, data sources are, are interesting. Um, there, uh, if we want to, and we do, by the way, want to put a calendaring system on the www.nasa.gov page, maybe one that you can even uh, download onto your phone or your PDA, then how many different places do we have calendaring information for something like uh, shuttle launches or for, uh, for spacewalks? So what we need to do is figure out, what, what, as we start aligning these web services, exactly where our best sources of information are and lock, give those nourishment, lock those in and, and really give those nourishment and, and point our stuff towards them. Uh, that's not to say shutting down the other ones. It's just to say uh, I think any large enterprise would like to have credible sources to get to scheduling information, asset information, people information, and so on. So this is, this is part of that. Um, I talked a little bit about situational awareness of information. Uh, for instance, uh, ITAR information is not just uh, what the information is, but it's where it sets and who's getting it. So we can see adding attributes to information so that eventually we can ask our wire, we can ask our networks what's going on in ITAR 
that you know about instead of asking people or, or, or rolling up our sleeves and going through the data ourselves. This sounds like a classic case, as Don Conway might say, of where machines can really do it better than people. So we're exploring ways on how to make that happen. And it, it shouldn't be surprising that this is part of a, a, a knowledge management, information management, uh, executive or decision support discussion because really being able to lay your hands on information understands its situational properties as well as, as well as what it was meant to do is kind of part of the, part of our problem space. Um, hey Gene, why don't you go through the knowledge, you're the knowledge management expert. Go through the knowledge management button. Okay, before you, before you go on to the next slide, we have a hand up from the person calling in from 972 area code. If you do a star three, and you might have an urgent question here, just in case. 972 person. Yes, this is uh, John Yannese from uh, the NCOIC uh, Semantic Interoperability Framework Working Group. Hi. Uh, I, I stole your slides. Oh, thank you. Uh, my uh, uh, question is, it, the topic of semantic uncertainty and uh, dealing with reasoning with uncertainty, I'm, I'm trying to find where that might fit within this plan. I'm thinking it, it might be an important area to be concerned with. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, not, you know, uh, I think, uh, I think Gene was all, Gene and I were both already challenged to try and squeeze this stuff into Okay. Uh, a, a short introductory talk, but you're ab you're absolutely right. I mean, I know it's want to be. A, go ahead. I'm, I know it's a longer term issue, like Bayesian semantics. There's a lot of different approaches. I'm just I'm seeing a lot of work in that area, and I, I'm thinking that might be useful to start thinking about it. Yeah, you're at, you're you're right, and I, I guess I guess the thing, not to uh, not to thrash too much on this. I guess the thing that um, we have not done organizationally very well is focus on infusion. Now, the, the uh, data working group has a subgroup that's working on infusion, but the level at which we participate in the standards committee and the level in which our, uh, our research grants our focus in order to help us into these areas has really been limited. And I would say that where we're really going to get some gain there is that a lot of, a lot of the folks that drive the money and drive the decisions don't, don't understand enough about what we need in order to complete the work. And so they don't know where they need to have people sitting in those committees or letting the, or, or offering up those research grants in order to do better development. So, I mean, that's kind of like, so, yeah, there's, there's uncertainty, there's incompleteness. There's the ability to take logical, it looks like there's good work in taking large data models and breaking them up into logical components but not recombining them very well. Yeah. So there's, there's, lots of, there's lots of things to do in this space. Yeah. Thank you. We, we, we have scheduled a, like, 30-minute uh, Q&A and discussion. So uh, let's maybe continue with the presentation and hold off uh, discussion 
type question. Uh, uh, but hey, hey, just one more thing on that. Uh, who was it that asked the question? Uh, John Yanosi from oh. NCOIC. Right. Yeah. Hey, John. Um, that that's such a great qu- question. When we when we get back together, or whether in this call or some other time, I think what one of the things that Gene and I would be charmed about would be to sort of start getting that prioritized list of tech infusion and where things that we need to look at as we climb up the ladder or rung or two and look further out and see what we're going to need in the next couple of years. Great. Sounds good. Yeah. So. Do I need to mute too? Uh, yes, uh, star two to mute your phone. Okay, so um, and we're we're getting to the point where we're just about to tee it up for questions. So just a couple more minutes. Um, so the the third aspect of this information and data management idea, in addition to the services and the information access processes, is really knowledge management, and this is. Uh, an effort that, that we're undertaking to formalize our current architecture for capturing, organizing, storing, and sharing knowledge, again, across our global space community. And how we do that, both prim- primarily for mission support. So how do we collaborate to enable people to develop the rockets to get back to the moon more quickly? Um, how do we do that so that they can help hire the people who can do that more quickly? But also, how do we do internal collaboration and how do we make sure that the public is engaged with the mission of NASA, that we both show our relevance and understand our own relevance to the public? How do we make sure that we're both participating and listening to and responding to that conversation? And, um, and as Andy pointed out earlier, the idea of searching, um, which doesn't necessarily mean buying a huge search engine, but how do we integrate search in a way that provides that utility service both strategically and um, for a business case for for NASA as a government agency. So um, to do this, we we just are putting out some of our near-term and long-term ideas here. So again, these are not necessarily set in concrete. These aren't. Don't take this as the executables that Andy and I will deliver over the next six to 28 months. But um, we just wanted to give you a sense of what we were thinking of as the things that out of these kinds of discussions. Um, so at NASA, what we would be doing is creating an integrated knowledge management search and information access architecture, and that would be built on our current enterprise architecture. For us, enterprise architecture is a serious business. Every system, major system at NASA that goes across the agency must be part of that enterprise architecture and adhere to certain standards and requirements. Um, and so, so it becomes a big part of how we do our IT business. Um, the other near-term idea is building that prototype repository service, which Andy already has actually underway, um, in looking at how we're going to bring together communities of practice and data, um, people, and, and information. How do we do this in such a way as to provide a repository for not only the data sources, but also the ontologies that people are creating for the various views of, of information and, and knowledge that's created at NASA and with our partners and for those service level um, and service access protocol agreements that, um, that we've discussed. How do we make sure that we're adopting or constructing or integrating or putting forth the standards for how those applications and models should be constructed and making sure, as Andy points out before, how do we participate in those standards committees? Some of-
are probably members of those. And so if you know of some standards committees or standards work that we should be looking at, um, again, we'd really appreciate your helping to point that out to us. So as we getting closer to the end here on slide 28, um, a little further out in the future, then we're really creating, moving some of the systems into um, longer-term uh, uh, operational systems. So some of what you see here on this chart is really taking those early ideas and, and moving them forward and refining those architectures to bring basis the um, idea of how we integrate ontologies into the information systems, how we look at the data sources and how those are displayed, referenced, and inferred across searches and the way in which people look for knowledge discovery, and how we make sure that that knowledge development, that the creation of new ideas, the creation of new concepts, happens sort of synergistically and cohesively across NASA and its partners by a both human and machine-readable format. So the idea is that it doesn't have to be that the researcher in Italy and the researcher in China and the researcher in Baltimore have to be able to talk to each other on the telephone, but that both their systems and, and they asynchronously and synchronously are able to collaborate and develop that knowledge um, in order to move us forward into, into outer space. So on uh, slide 29, sort of looking further out, we're thinking about the ideas of how we use then agent technology or new classes of applications that can merge these different resources, services, capabilities, humans and virtual humans and avatars into a way that allows people to be aware of what is going on um, semantically aware and situationally aware so that they can drive to better decisions um, and do so in a way in which they are always learning because the point of having knowledge accessible and making decisions is so that you can learn and make better decisions, make better uh, choices in the future. And for us, uh, an interesting aspect is that that knowledge exchange not only occurs with other people, and it not only occurs system to system, but it occurs with our robotic explorers. So, you know, when a spacecraft is like Voyager, three and a half billion miles away and nine hours in radio time, it has to be able to make decisions on its own on how it's going to deal with unexpected or even expected situations as they arrive. And once you're on the surface of a planet or going beneath the surface of a planet in an ocean, those decisions become a much more um, rapid and much more difficult to, to make, much more complex. And so how people and machines can collaborate is part of maybe a, a unique part of NASA's mission. So um, the giving you a sense, this gives you a sense of some of the things that we're looking at for our challenges. Many others at NASA are pulling together to try to look at how to integrate these capabilities. Slide 30 shows you some of the specific people who are working on related tasks that you'll hear about throughout this mini-series. Um, and you can just see them throughout that, that area, looking at taxonomies, science uh, knowledge and how to organize it, our, our scientific and technical. Technologies for collaboration, knowledge discovery, looking at how we share information for our lunar missions, and some of the human aspects 
um, behavioral aspects for sharing information and organizing it. So what I want to do is just point back to the two slides I, I didn't talk to earlier, which are the questions that our leadership team came up with that might be things we want to address during this um, mini-series. So not necessarily all of these today, obviously, but uh, over the period of the next six months. And we can even, for those that are particularly of interest to people, we can um, do uh, a structured panel or bring in um, whatever speakers make sense to talk about them. So primarily amongst these, of course, is the intersection of these three interesting disciplines of ontologies, knowledge management, and decision support. Those decisions so that they can discover useful knowledge and structure information for both for both known and serendipitous inquiry. And how do we sort of leverage the knowledge that we have and the decisions that people have made in order to maximize the ability of them for them to make future decisions? How do we prioritize scientific exchange of information, machine to machine and person to person, through the use of, of organizations and ontologies? How do we use semantic technologies to help to draw these um, uh, fields closer as well? And then um, finally, looking at um, how we can do exercises in virtual worlds that will help us to uh, stimulate and script how things will happen in real life so that we can structure information and conversations in these virtual worlds in a way that derives real-world knowledge discovery um, and how we can leverage those ontologies to improve knowledge management and vice versa for better decision support. So I think that's um, the, the bulk of the formal presentation. Um, Andy, is there anything you'd like to add? got a message from him that his, he's having a phone problem. So, Peter, is there anything that you'd like to add, and then we'll open it up for questions, and Andy will find a way back online. Uh, right. No, I think that, 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 that thank you very much, Jean, for a wonderful presentation. Uh, I guess uh, I'll go through the logistics on uh, Q&A again, since we have such a huge crowd. Uh, we will be queuing people up as you show your hand either through pressing a 1-1 one, one on your keypad or putting your hands up the, uh, at the chat session. I don't see a lot of people at, at the chat except for like Kurt and Amanda. Uh, so most of the people are actually on the phone. Uh, do a 1-1 one, one uh, so that we can queue you up. I Maybe, Jean, you can talk about, I mean, how people can, can be queued up, I mean, if they're in Second Life. So if you're in Second Life, all you need to do is just um, type in your chat, and uh, I'll see it, and, uh, and we'll call on you. All right. Uh, so this is the time to press 1-1 if you, uh, you have some question or you have a uh, comment, suggestion, ideas, uh, especially in relation to some of the opening questions uh, uh, where you want this series to head and so on. So uh, I will start uh, with uh, this person's 
from the 703 area code number ending 8196. Uh, if you do a star three and unmute yourself uh, and speak Peter? up. Yes, uh, introduce yourself. Art Schneider, Raytheon. I had a Hi. question which is a little off topic but not too far. You had mentioned or had been mentioned that uh, several or multiple ontologies are, have already been developed, and there was a question there about prioritizing that, that uh, process. My question, though, is have you decided on a particular paradigm or discovered a particular paradigm for ontology development, especially in regard to your long-term goals that you think will be sustainable? So, and I'm not familiar with the specific uh, methodology that we're using. Andy, are you? Well, I guess the first question is, do you have one? Sorry, I was on mute. Okay, so a uh, couple things here. First, um, although uh, <laughs> a lot of people on this call don't, don't may not agree with me or, or have a particular passion for it, the thinking the ontologies themselves, want to make sure that, um, well, how should I say this, it's not, uh, it's not the most important thing as a component as part of this. It's critical, and there are people that have a passion for it, and that's great. Uh, we want to be able to try and make those things. So the goal here in ontological management is to make it as reusable and as simple as possible so that not everyone has to be a logician in order to create good, good solid ontology. That's sort of like a design principle. In terms of which ones we want to promote first, we want to promote it based on, on use and utility. So we've got some that are already out there, and they're great, uh, and they're being used a lot. So we want to promote those and nurture them and so on. There's others that, are, that we don't have that we have need as we start um, doing some of the mission support work. And so those we want, those we want to grow and, and build and nurture as well. I was uh, talking to the uh, the Air Force guys down at Cape Canaveral a uh, few months ago, and one of the things I was sort of interested in is that, uh, you know, we've been doing a lot of stuff, mixing it up, OWL light, RDF, so on, and they're doing everything in OWL full, and I, I think, well, gee, you know, you really got a requirement to be that expressive. And they said, no, 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 we don't, but we might. And I thought, you know, I started thinking that maybe I've had my hat on too tight and have only developed based on the requirement that's at hand and not really thinking at what kind of future requirements we might have for the same representational set of, of concepts that we are constructing. So it's a long-winded way of saying we'll try and base priority based on need and nurture those things. We're going to look for commonality across them because we can see why we want to repurpose them for uh, applications that they weren't originally intended. Does that kind of make sense to you? Yes, but I don't think you answered the question or, or you possibly alluded to it. Do you have a particular paradigm for developing these to meet those long-term needs or goals? Right now, the the, the if I paradigm's a little loose. If if yeah. If you mean who's do we have are we are 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 we setting up a core group of people that are going to write these for for folks? No, 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 no. Essentially, guidelines. If you like a pattern, if you're into architecture, an architectural pattern type of thing. Uh, for instance, uh, do you recommend alignment with particular upper ontologies, or do you even consider those? 
or are you having using basing on things on controlled vocabulary or some terminological constraints or something like that? Yeah, my guess. Yeah, the, the, okay. So no, we haven't done that, and yes, we have to do that. And my guess is, I, it seems like you can't go anywhere without. There's there's this interesting tension with the Uber ontology guys, the upper ontology guys, but I think I think uh, and large scale controlled vocabularies and in some cases larger ontologies is going to be the fastest way to get there. More of a prag- I personally am more of a pragmatist than uh, a particular religious zealot when it comes to that stuff. Right, but in terms of that pragmatism and, and meeting your long-term goals, um, again, I'm not p- saying a particular upper ontology, but the notion of such a thing can help guide your development in such a fashion that you do get the reusability and the repurposing, if you like, over the long period. Yeah, maybe. You know, no, we're not far enough along to throw it out, and we need to look at it. You know, I'm not blowing, I'm not blowing off the question. I'm just saying this is an area that, uh, you know, I think if I hold my, my thumb out at arm's distance, I would guess that the number of uh, ontologies that we are using and sharing right now is probably under, under a few dozen. So this is probably the right time to start thinking about it. We'd like to incorporate that information and knowledge into the work we're doing at NCOIC. John Yannese was on the line earlier. He may still be on. And one of the things that we need to develop is some guidelines or guidance on how to develop these. And, in fact, just to meet many of those long-term goals that you identified, you want to be able to reuse these things. Well, then why don't we do that? Say again? Yeah, I mean, that sounds... That, that, well, I'll send you an you email know, one later. of the things that why we wanted to get on this call is to to incorporate some of that stuff. Great, thank you. Yeah, that's, sure. It's it's like I said, you know, uh, we're trying to fold in. This this is a, a problem space for all good ideas, not one. That's for sure. It's yes, big enough and broad enough. To stay, you know. There's lots of them out there. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. Yep. Hey, thanks, Todd. Uh, we have uh, two people, uh, again, the 972, probably John Yannese, and then after John, I have a hand from the person from 915 area code. Uh, so uh, let's uh, get John started first. John, mute yourself. Hello. Uh, on page 31 regard to bullet one I think that's a that's a fascinating question and I had an idea this is this idea may it's not my idea it's a whole field of uh, knowledge representation it's called context theory and context representation and how one can use that sort of it's it's a different approach than an upper ontology where in the upper ontology, the approach is to generalize, while in the context representation is still to, the, the goal is to reason across multiple ontologies, but the goal there is to identify the granularity and the perspective and the rationale for reasoning within a specific context representation. And I'm thinking, uh, I'm wondering if uh, maybe the, a decision model might provide a context in that... In other words, 
to represent decision in a context representation that would allow one to um, rash, uh, reason and select and identify types of knowledge across multiple ontologies that would support that uh, decision. Of course, then you'd have the problem of identifying the, the meta uh, decision structures for various types of decision domains, but um, it would leave you at the level of granularity, uh, the same level of detail that the decision requires without having to pop up and generalize and lose some information. Yeah, that's an, that's an awesome idea, it really is. And you know, um, if we took, I think one of the examples either I or, I or Gene used, of just one, you know, just one part of decision making, uh, like in, uh, you know, across the, every government agency responds to OMB, and there's, there's a whole decision process that goes along with that. Somebody model that thing and just try to, to do that one aspect, that one very narrow aspect, and then I bet there's going to be so many other supporting disciplines in order to gather the facts and data uh, required in order to, to do the response at a federal level to the OMB that it would be kind of a, not a very glamorous or, or particularly sexy way to start, but I bet a very fruitful way to start because it's all, all the federal agencies have pretty well-documented processes to do that. They just don't have systems to do it. There probably are, I've at least uh, had been contacted by companies and other people who uh, think they can, if you had such a context ontology, they might be able to do a, a web search and populate it according to, you know, the, uh, the classifications represented in a model. Uh, so one wouldn't have to develop it by, develop the model by hand, but, uh, but all the population of the data could be automated. That would be cool. Yeah. Across the, the facts within different knowledge bases for, that are associated with different ontologies. <laughs> I, I know I said a few things there. Uh, and that's another thing I, I just wanted to, I typically don't put in facts within an ontology. Uh, I just leave it at the meta level, the, the class right. level, and then I create various knowledge bases, which I call knowledge bases associated with the ontology, and there I get reused. But uh, the uh, two and you know you, you hit upon something else too, and that's that's a really good, that's a kind of a sweet approach because I think I mean you pay, you may have derived that approach in order to get the most reuse out of your own products. Right. Yeah, that's smart. So uh, on bullet one, I just was thinking that we might want to think about context representation as a potential candidate to investigate to see uh, if that's a way to stay in the world of ontologies uh, but but uh, and I'm not so sure if it's short term or medium term I there are no standards for context representation yet but there are alternative approaches uh, based on well we can get on that offline but there are alternative approaches that I've seen um, and I don't think profiles are the way to do it. <laughs> you need some sort of structure. You know, metadata with just keywords with no model isn't quite good enough, I don't think. Okay. Thank you, John. 
Thank you. I'll hit actually, back to your question about uh, uh, probability. Uh, I mean, Ken Buklowski, who who is actually going to champion the the the, the uh, help us kickstart the discussion, actually has done some work in that. Maybe you've already. Oh, great! Yeah. yeah, that. So, so these are the things we definitely want to start pursuing in the uh, discussion forum. It's definitely it's not something we can handle here, or even if we can, we, we, we want it properly documented, uh, searchable, we can go back and, and, and do, go through the details uh, again. So, thank you. And thank you. Let's call upon the next person, the person from 915, with the last four digits of his phone number, or her phone number 0100. Uh, if you do a star three and unmute your phone, Yes, this is Ross. Oh, hi. Hi, this is Ross Dahman, associated with the Ontolog Forum. Um, in the discussion, I heard no reference to culture, uh, what the dominant culture of a given organization or institution is, and how this uh, either uh, positively in terms of facilitating or negatively in terms of inhibiting uh, these topics of knowledge transfer, decision support, Etc. Etc. Yeah. So that's an excellent point. And uh, again, in the interest of time, I, I didn't show sort of the normal charts I talk about with knowledge management, but um, we show sort of four underlying aspects of knowledge management that we have to think about. Um, the three less important are an architectural approach, an information technology capability, and services that help people share. But the most important aspect is culture. So you've hit it right on the head that all of this involves um, the fact that it has to be culturally appropriate to each organization, which is why these things end up being conversations as opposed to, oh, here's the way to, to make this all work. So a lot of what we're posing, the, the challenges that we say are part of the way that things are seen within the NASA culture. But I, I couldn't agree with you more. And, in fact, one of the pieces that we have for our upcoming talks is this idea of um, uh, human aspects of organizing information. And uh, Dr. Charlotte Lindy, who's going to be doing that talk, is an anthropologist, a cultural anthropologist. And her job at NASA is really to look at culturally uh, appropriate and the culturally um, executed ways of sharing information. So I completely agree with you. Thank you. Thank you, Ross. Ken, uh, uh, if you have, uh, I don't have other uh, questions already queued up. Uh, again, if you, hey, Peter, yeah, I was just I, on uh, on this culture question. I just sort of different different take on uh, one thing. Oh, go ahead, Eddie. There's uh, I, maybe it's being in a science and engineering uh, environment. Maybe not, but um, there's still a lot of people within our, our environment that you say you say knowledge management, and they get this this funny kind of glazed look in their eye when you start talking to them about it. Um, when you put it in technical terms, uh, if, you, if you start putting it in terms of the discipline of what you need, how to find stuff, uh, how how come we we don't know about 
how come there's nothing written down about the decisions that were made in the past, then it really starts to resonate. And I think, uh, I think I'm starting to learn some tricks on how to communicate in these cult- in, in, within our own culture in order to get the point across, regardless of what we're calling it. Thanks, Andy. Uh, I got a note from Gene saying that there are no questions from Second Life either. So maybe we can go to the next uh, 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 segment, which would be sort of uh, summarizing and uh, doing whatever follow-up we would need to get us rolling with the ontology in KM and decision support mini series. So of course, the first thing is that uh, this is not just a virtual lecture series; uh, it is an interactive uh, initiative. So we need participation, we need contribution from the community. This is uh, trying to get input from the community so that the group or inter-community. The, the, the multiple communities can all sort of raise to a next level by having exchange ideas uh, through virtual platforms like this one. So uh, on one of the earlier slides, we already had this uh, one email address that you can send to to join in the discussion forum. Uh, it helps if you are a member of KMGov or already a member of uh, the Ontolog Forum. If you aren't, uh, at least uh, let, let me uh, uh, guide people. Uh, if you aren't on Ontolog Forum already and you want to be, then the, go to the Ontolog Wiki and uh, there's a membership section. Uh, all the details are under the membership section. Maybe Gene uh, can tell us uh, what one needs to do to get onto the KMGov uh, community. Um, yeah, I think I will post it to the um, – I think it's – I just can't remember the exact structure of the email that you have to send, but if you send an email to me, I'd be happy to, to do that. And my email is posted up on the Ontolog Wiki, and I'll post the directions for um, subscribing to that listserv right. as well. Okay, we, we, we will add that to the uh, – there's an OKMDS uh, initiative homepage on the on the wiki. So, so I mean, if, if you want – there's one page you want to bookmark, that is that, that one page. I mean, it's the, the page called OKMDS, all capital, uh, on, on the on the log wiki. So once we get everyone onto the discussion forum, then uh, uh, Ken and Kurt will help us kickstart that, and let's do some serious uh, discussions. The last time we had a series that is similar to this one, which was the uh, Ontology Summit 2007, which Ontolog and NIST uh, and Encore uh, collaboratively put together, uh, we we had like 1,600 exchanges within a, a span of uh, four months. Uh, I look forward to that kind of uh, enthusiasm this time again, and let's go go get them. Uh, 
you have other things to add, uh, Ian or Andy? I would just like sure. to thank everybody for all their time and especially the of their help in organizing the conversation today and hope that this is the beginning of a really fruitful collaboration between all of us. Again, I would encourage those of you who um, particularly want to share something um, to contact Peter or I or anybody on the leadership team in order to get you scheduled into one of the series panels or series presentations. Okay, and, and look out, I mean, either on the ontolog invitation list or by the time you are into the uh, OKMDS convene list or the KM Gov list, uh, we will be announcing uh, ongoing uh, events there. And just to let everyone know, the next one that has been lined up will come in about a month. Uh, it's scheduled for December okay. the 13th. It, it, it's a talk by a group of people who have been working from the World Federation of UN Associations, and they have been working since the year 2000 on a method and a, uh, and a system called State of the Future Index. And the title of that talk will be Making Better Strategic Decisions by Asking If It Is Going to Get Better or Worse. Uh, the Sophie method and system to implement it. Uh, we'll be posting more information about that fairly soon, and so stay tuned. Okay. Jean, you want to wrap this up? Andy, do you have anything else to uh, add? So, nope, that's it. I, um, again, thank everyone for their time, and please follow up on the wiki through email or at our next discussion. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.